because you're not willing to die for your spouse. Why aren't my friends getting saved? Because you're not willing to lay down your life to share the life-giving message of Jesus because you want them to like you. The greatest love, the overflow of love that God wants to work in our hearts is self-sacrificial. Just like Jesus, Jesus' love was self-sacrificial as we respond to Him giving up His life for us and we choose to give up our lives for others. If you asked a handful of people for a one-word answer to the world's ills, most would probably say love. But love can play out in many different ways. As Pastor Daniel takes a look at what the book of John says about God's love, we'll find that only the kind of love shown by Jesus can be held up as an example of true love. It's self-sacrificial, and believers are called to show it. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 2, with part one of his message entitled, The Overflow. This has been an awesome series, hasn't it? This series on knowing God. A word that Pastor Bill and I have invented, which is starting to become part of the... uh, The fabric of who we are here at Crossroads is this word divintimacy, which is the word divine, which is the Latin for God, and intimacy. And we slam them together. They share a bunch of letters. In music harmony, we call that the use of common tones. Chords move together when they have certain notes that are the same, and they move very beautifully that way. And so this word divintimacy, it shares a bunch of common tones in the middle. We put it together, divintimacy. It's about intimacy with God. Now, what's awesome is that we're starting to see a concept that keeps popping up over and over again. So if you're in your Bibles in John 15, last week, Pastor Bill started talking about this idea of fruitfulness, right? You get it in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have this idea that when a a plant is bearing fruit, that God's going to prune it and make it more fruitful. You get also in verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You can't bear fruit unless you abide in the vine who is Jesus. In verse 5, look what it says. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So as we abide in Jesus, it says that we bear much fruit. And then it begins to crescendo. In verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And then finally, Pastor Bill got to close with this. In verse 12, this is my commandment, or in verse 11, excuse me, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So you have this constant idea that as 
people abide in Jesus, as humanity abides in who God is for us in Christ, fruit is born. Now, today, I want to change the metaphor a little bit. Because if you think about fruitfulness, fruitfulness is really overflow, isn't it? When you have a branch that's abiding in a vine, and that vine has deep roots that go into the ground, and there's sun, and there's water, and there's fertile ground, that's where fruitfulness comes. It is the overflow of the perfect conditions to get exactly what we're all looking for. And what's amazing is is that this fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about is not only about a tree feeling in and of itself, hey, I'm fruitful, good on me. Did you ever see a fruit tree that does that? That's kind of proverbially patting itself on the back saying, I have glorious fruits. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Take a picture of me. Look how fruitful I am. No. See, the fruitfulness of any fruit tree is actually for the betterment of everybody who's around that fruit tree. Isn't that the truth? When you go into the supermarket and there's glorious fruit there, you say to yourself, oh yeah. But the fruit doesn't get the benefit of its own fruitfulness in and of itself. That fruitfulness is for the world around it. And so what we have going on now is that fruitfulness that God wants to birth in our life through our relationship with Him is not for only our betterment, but it's really for the rest of the world. God desires fruitfulness in His church to bless the world. And I'm calling that the overflow. I have a scripture that I want to hang over top of this. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39 says this. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out. I mean, it's amazing when Jesus stands up and starts crying out. He cries. Listen to what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said... Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John says, But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's fascinating. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, come to me. This is this call to relationship, to intimacy with God. But then he says, he who believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And if you were looking at this in the Greek New Testament, you take that word rivers, you would find that it's an emphatic term. It doesn't mean like a little creek. It means a torrent, a gusher. It means Yosemite National Park at the beginning of summer when all of the, all of the snow is melting off. You guys ever seen pictures of Yosemite, all those falls where they're gushing? That's what it's talking about here. She says, look, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of the depths of his heart will flow torrents, gushers of living water. See, Jesus is talking about overflow and he says, he's speaking of the spirit flowing through someone's life. At this point, When Jesus was saying it, the Spirit had not yet been given. And this is exactly what we're going to talk about today. This overflow. Now, I'm going to be taking a lot of verses here. I'm going to start at verse 12 of John 15. And we're going to go all the way to John 16, verse 15. That's a lot of scripture. And so, don't worry, I'm not going to have you here all day, I promise. Some of you are like, oh no. 
Pastor Dan is going to take a lot of scripture. We're going to be here until evening time, but I promise we're going to move fast. We're going to break this up into three specific sections. First, looking at verses 12 to 17, our very first. Now, each one of these three sections, there's going to be a couple of characteristics or attributes that we're going to focus on. So we begin here, John 15, verse 12. Encourage you to read along. From verses 12 to 17, we have one lesson, and that is that the overflow is love. The overflow is love. This spilling out, the torrent of living water that God wants to flow through the lives of Christians, this fruitfulness is primarily love. Now, you might say to yourself, well, we learned this on the very first day we got saved. I mean, we know that the greatest commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? We all know this, but the reality is, is that if you look in the Bible, you find that it's always emphasized over and over and over again. But if you were to ask the average person who doesn't come to church, if a Christian, what is the best or the most common characteristic of Christians, are they going to say the word love? No. Oftentimes they won't. And that should convict our hearts, shouldn't it? Because over and over and over again, almost ad nauseum, Jesus brings us back to this main point, that the overflow is love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. This overflow is love. Now, right at the beginning, verse 12, and it keeps coming back, the overflow's love is responsive. The overflow's love is responsive. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is important. The standard for the love that God wants to overflow through the life of a believer is a love that is in response to the love that Jesus has for us. See, I think this is the big problem today, is that in 21st century Western culture, loving your neighbor is being equated to your neighbor liking you. That is our standard. If people like me, then I am loving them. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say, listen, live in such a way that everybody likes you. Actually, the Bible and Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Wow. We're going to see why as we go through this text. See, the standard for the overflow that God wants to come through our life is not the way we love or the way people want us to love them, but the way Jesus has loved us. That's the standard. 
Jesus sets the pace. He is the pace car for the love that we're meant to have. And if you look at Jesus, Jesus is a radically complex individual. Jesus, his idea of love, did everybody like Jesus? No, I mean, Jesus was killed for the things he shared. Who are the people that had the hardest time with Jesus? The religious people. That should speak to us as people in church. Jesus banged heads the most with the most religious people of his day. Wow. Who appreciated the love of Jesus the most? The tax collectors and the sinners. The people who were the farthest from God. The people who were the least religious. So I want to encourage you here today. The overflow of love that God is calling us to. Let Jesus set the pace. Now, I realize that when I tell you that, I am encouraging you to live recklessly and dangerously. Because the love that Jesus had cost him his life. The love that Jesus had cost him his life. He loved so extravagantly and so dangerously and so recklessly that they ended up killing him. And that moves us right into our second characteristic. Look at verse 13. Greater love. I love this greater love, the greatest of all loves, has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Not only is the overflow's love responsive to Jesus, now it's self-sacrificial. Greater love has no one than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You see that? The overflow's love, not only responsive, but it's self-sacrificial. That is a challenging thing, isn't it? We want to love in a way that is self-aggrandizing. We love people because they love us back. We want to give people what they give us in return. Jesus says, no, no, no. The greatest love is that you lay down your life self-sacrificially for others. You might say, well, that's a very religious concept. I mean, we're living the real world. Listen, I have two perfect examples, one for you girls and one for you guys, or one for you ladies and one for you men about how our culture values this very concept. Let's start with you ladies. I remember when I was growing up, there was a movie that came out, very, very popular, called The Titanic. Look at all the ladies like, Leo. Leonardo DiCaprio, that's who I'm talking about. This movie was, was a mega hit, right? I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio has done a million movies since that movie. What was so special about the movie that in the end... This man and this woman loved each other so much that he was willing to stay in the water and die so that she might live. And every woman's heart beats at that. Why? Because greater love is no one than this, than someone would lay down their life for someone they cared about. Every woman, I say the word Titanic and, the, and like the sparkles go in ladies' eyes. It's an amazing thing. It's like, oh. Why? Because we all know this to be true. Now, you guys are like, come on, Pastor Daniel, the Titanic. You got to be kidding me, right? So you guys, here we go. I got another movie for you. Braveheart. And every guy's like, yeah! Freedom! I've never met a guy who didn't like Braveheart. Not once. Why do guys love that movie? Because you have this man and he's got such passion for this cause. Really, it's his, his love, right? That he's lost. 
but that his love has caused him to funnel all this passion into seeing the Scotch be free of the English. And what does he do in the end? He gives up his life for the cause. And every guy is just like, Because yeah. the greatest love is self-sacrificial. You might be sitting here being like, why don't I know real love? Because you're not willing to die for it. You're saying, why is my marriage rough? Because you're not willing to die for your spouse. Why aren't my friends getting saved? Because you're not willing to lay down your life to share the life-giving message of Jesus because you want them to like you. The greatest love, the overflow of love that God wants to work in our hearts is self-sacrificial. Just like Jesus. Jesus' love was self-sacrificial. As we respond to him giving up his life for us, then we choose to give up our lives for others. The Apostle John in his letter, 1 John in chapter 3 says this, verses 16 and 17, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And that is a challenging passage, isn't it? Especially in a very materialistic age that we live in. How can we say the love of God abides in us if we're not willing to live self-sacrificially for Jesus? You know, that's why we had this video about giving. Not because it's like, oh, God needs your money. No, listen, God's got cattle on a thousand hills. But the reality is, is this is another way of us living self-sacrificially like Jesus did. And I know it's a challenge, especially in an age where most of us are straddled with enormous amounts of debt for things we didn't need. But when you see that the greatest love is living self-sacrificially, and then we yawn and turn the page. I mean, this is the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? Would to God that the people of God, the love that flows as rivers of living water from the depths of our souls, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would be radically self-sacrificial. Because that's what it was for Jesus. And as Jesus is in the world, we also ought to be. But not only that, we continue. Jesus ends this, a man lays down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. The overflow's love, it's responsive to who Jesus is. It's self-sacrificial like Jesus is. And now we get that it's friendly. I like this. It's friendly. Jesus goes to emphasize that we are his friends. Now you have to realize that when you think of friendship, it makes you think of a peer group. And I don't know about you, but the people who you spend the most time with, you become the most like them, don't you? Language. Things you do for fun. Our love's overflow is really friendship with Jesus. Now, Jesus is fully God, but he also says here, and I can't, you can't deny it, you're friends. We have that type of friendship, fellowship. And it's interesting that Jesus begins in verse 14 by saying, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Once again, obedience is the test of 
of discipleship. The friends of Jesus are those who habitually obey him. Now, I got to make the point because I know there's some people who are like, Pastor Daniel's preaching works righteousness. And you know what? I am. I'm not preaching that we do works to get saved. I'm preaching that we live the way we live because we are saved. And you can take that Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. That is exactly what it says. We don't believe in faith and say forget about works. We know that that's dead. We don't think we get saved by doing faith, having faith and doing good works because that's adding something to the gospel. We do works because we're saved. You could say amen. Go get, whoop it up. Let's go. You know, let's go. We do works and we do the things that Jesus commands because we're saved and because we say, Lord, you did it. I'm going to do it too. We say, listen, Jesus lived differently. Jesus changed the whole course of history. And you know what? Lord, if you would use me, I'm just going to obey you and we'll see what you want to do here. Obedience is the test of discipleship. In the end of the day, you can tell more about what someone believes by the way that they live than by what they tell you when they're in church on Sunday. So I'm not preaching salvation by works. No way. I'm not preaching faith and works. No way. I'm preaching a faith that works. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I ask of you. Could we be simply obedient? And then verses 16 and 17 here. The last characteristic here of this overflow of love. It says this. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you these things I command you that you love one another. Finally, the overflow's love is predetermined. There it is. Jesus said, did you choose me? No. He said, I chose you. I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. See, our, this overflow of love in our lives is not us trying to squeeze out some fruit. It is us linking up hands with God to what God already wants to do through our lives. This is powerful. Jesus predetermined that you and I would bear fruit for him. And because of that, whatever we ask in his name, he gives us. Because we're not asking what we want. We're not like a cherry tree being like, Lord, I want a big melon. We say, Lord, I want you to bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life. Because you said that you've predetermined that I bear that fruit. So, Lord, your will be done in my life. How cool is that? You don't got, it's not a lark, hoping on a lark that God's going to bear fruit in our life. No, no. God has already determined to bear fruit in your life. And the question for us is, are we going to resist the fruit that he wants to bear in our lives? Or are we going to say, Lord, this life is yours. What do you want to do in and through me? That's the big question that our culture struggles with in regards to Christianity. Because we grew up saying, you can do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want. Do what thou will. And you come to Christ and you should be saying, Lord... Not what I will, but what your will. I just talked to a brother just this week. God's blessed this guy phenomenally. He's like, look, I'm realizing that what I'm doing and what God wants me to do are two different things. Jesus is real. Today we heard that the overflow of living water that God wants to pour out in us is love. 
But as Pastor Daniel noted, the most commonly cited characteristic about Christians is rarely that they're loving. The love like Jesus has is self-sacrificial, and very few of us live that way. We give of ourselves even when we don't have a lot. That's the greatest love. It's the gospel. The people of God must love like Him. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue speaking on the overflow of love that comes from the Father and how we, as believers in Jesus, can bear witness to that love. We are called to give, but there is a more ominous aspect to being a follower of Jesus, and that's persecution in His name. Pastor Daniel will give encouragement as to how we can move forward with Jesus in spite of it. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled The Mission, Knowing. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio. Real.